Welcome, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in to the Self Storage Income Podcast. Before we get this episode kicked off, huge shout out to our sponsors, Tenet Inc., Live Oak Bank, and Janus International. Tenant Inc. was a company started by storage owner-operators to fill a technological need in the industry that was not there. Their solutions are incredible. Again, these people are owner-operators who knew exactly what the industry needed and have moved into the industry to provide that resource and that ability to help owners operate their facilities, to own their data, and to do just incredible things with their facilities, maximize returns, maximize efficiencies and operations. Incredible group of people. Check them out. Link is in the show notes. Live Oak Bank, another amazing group of people there. Their SBA loans are next to nothing. I mean, they are so amazing. Second to none. Uh, Phenomenal people there. We've worked with Terry and a number of people over there at Live Oak Bank. They know their stuff. They know the self-storage industry. They know how to value self-storage, which is massive. It's a huge, huge efficiency working with these professionals that know and understand storage, which our next sponsor, Janus International, is no slouch either. They, They obviously know and understand the storage industry. They are working day in and day out to bring and revolutionize resources with to and within the self-storage industry. Amazing group of people there with revolutionary technologies, really bringing in that user experience that people today just demand in everything they do. So that said, check it out. Links in the show notes to all those sponsors. Thanks again for listening. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income, and I could not be more excited about today's podcast because we have not only an expert in our industry, but a very good friend of mine. Um, I could not think more of him, uh, and uh, you know, Connor, you've, you've met, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Our okay. guest today, man, he's been on the podcast before, rocked yep. it the first time, and we're like, man, he's doing such amazing things. We got to have him on again, touch base. And uh, he's got something special that just came out recently that we're going to touch on. Um, Jeremiah, dude, welcome back. Thanks, guys. Man, you're my favorite. I'm not just saying that. (laughs) Best content out there. So I love it. Thanks, dude. Well, speaking of content, man, finding your edge. um, Literally, we had uh, our head of acquisitions walked over when we were doing this. And he was like, dude, are you having Jeremiah on? And uh, we're like, yeah. And he's like... I'm halfway through his book and he's like, I love it. It's just awesome. Uh, And it really is, dude. It's really good. You did a great job. Thanks, man. That's rough. That was rough. (laughs) That was almost two and a half years of (laughs) coffee shops on weekends, every weekend. Yeah. Yeah. How did you now, and you took, uh, I, I just love the way that you took at it, you know, how to win the game of commercial real estate uh, investing. Um, but 
you know, why don't you talk to us about how you got started in commercial real estate investing? Like, how, how did you get started in this game? Yeah, I, you know, and that was the, I think the essential principle I wanted to share was, you know, finding my value in the deal. You know, what's like, if, if you don't know what your value is, you probably don't offer a, a lot of it to a partnership or to a business. Yeah. So it it was for me, at, I was wiped out from the residential crash. I was here in Vegas, lost the house, uh, just, just got, I was a realtor before that. And I had to find another avenue. So that whole mobile home park manufactured housing industry was very attractive because at the time I read a course, you know, like all the stuff online there about how to invest in real estate. And the, I love that business model. I saw, you know, a land lease community where you had very low operating expenses. You had relatively low management lift or, or uh, effort. And I was a young guy in my mid twenties where I was like, okay, this, this makes sense. I could jump in this. And at the time, no banks were financing it. So I had the opportunity to do some creative financing, especially on some rougher properties. You know, just like you talk about on your storage lifts, when you started the stuff that was grimy, a little out in the tertiary and the real, the, the far out markets, I could get in there and there was some pain points to hit on with the sellers where I could actually get in kind of light. And uh, and then I actually brought in a partner where uh, these guys uh, were educating people on how to buy manufactured housing. I said, hey, what can I do? I want to get in the business. They're like, well, go find deals. So I just, I dialed for dollars for a decade. You know, I just cold call and cra like crazy flying around the country, meeting crazy drunk Texans all the way up to, you know, up in uh, Western Minnesota where I'm in the middle of nowhere, flying in little planes, you know, when I'm in the middle of storms. So I just was, you know, figuring out what a deal is, you know, where my value was and then putting these deals together. And these guys kind of taught me the business and I was able to break off on my own after that decade. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I, you know, going through a crash like you went through, dude, it, it that's, that could be pretty hard to jump back up on, on, on the horse after, <laughs> afterwards, I, you know, I don't. I don't know if a lot of our listeners, how many people really remember. It's it's crazy to think about right now because to me it was like it was literally yesterday. Um, but so many people now, and a lot of people in the the self storage game, dude, they weren't at least they were in college, maybe right or something like that. But um, they weren't in the game at all when that that happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those of us that you know that were, that was a that was a dark dark bad, bad, bad time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it, it speaks a lot to you, how you, 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 it's like a lot of people, I think they lost their core value or understanding. It was all of a sudden anything real estate right. is bad and they just left it. They're like, I'm never touching real estate again. Right. I love how you didn't, you didn't say that you didn't correlate it like that. You said, okay, obviously there were some bad premises. We all did either some bad things or I wasn't right. And instead you learned from it, positioned yourself from what you learned and dude, you exploded. Yeah. Yeah. And the pendulum on the other side was, and yeah. you, I think you saw it in Boise and in, in Vegas. Mm -hmm. It was it, the, the swing was ridiculous when it was hot. Anything was good. They, there was no fundamentals, no foundation, no. no principles behind it. Anyone could get a loan. And it was just just a big trading game. You just buy yes. and sell and buy more. So when I I remember in 2007, I was at a Starbucks. I was like losing my house. I was and I looked down and I'm like, this is it, man. I am done flipping houses. I am done, you know, like doing realty and, and commercial realty. I'm like, I don't. So I think my my core takeaway from that was. I was passionate about this alternative commercial real estate investing, and I didn't even care if it was a good or bad market. I said, I, I, like, I burned the boats. 
I set my, my foundation. I said, I'm going forward. I don't care what's going to happen. And that's what, like that decision right there caused me to go off on my own. And the struggle was real, but it was, it was, that's what I, I enjoyed it because it didn't matter. Like I wanted to learn the business for the business. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about flipping anything. It was about building a business around real estate. Yeah. I, I, I love that. And, and this is an interesting thing that you just hit on. Um, you've done, and you know, obviously me and you've had a lot of conversations on this and to anyone that didn't listen to your podcast, everybody go back and check it out. Cause that one was amazing too, but there's investing in real estate and there's building a real estate business. And those two are not necessarily the same things. And a lot of people don't understand that. So what you just said right there is really important. I'm going to build a real estate business. Now walk me through where your business is at today. What are you doing? I'm from what, you know, I, I've talked to you, you know, and you, we've been both been busy like crazy, but I mean, we are hiring like crazy, right? So we're empowering team leaders. So we have divisions of our company all the way from acquisitions, construction, operations, financing, you know, now to this point, HR. So it's really about, you know, talent, right? The, the best yes. companies in the world, the private equity guys, the, the Blackstones, the, you know, really the, the, the system is only as good as the talent behind it. So that's what I'm really turning in my business into being a leader, being a true CEO and making decisions. And what are those decisions is just allocating resources. And that's just capital and talent. So we want to get good people, let them embrace, you know, their role, take responsibility. And I'm not a big micromanage guy, but, you know, we, we follow, we got our finger on the pulse of what's going on, but I want to empower good people that already have the skills to do that job. Like I want to pick the right guy if I'm starting a team and I want to, I want to get a guy that's a, a lineman that's a 350 pound monster right i don't want a little yeah. a, a little guy that's going to play that position so it's finding those people you know in the accounting department i don't want a sales guy so we're yeah. we're we're really dialing in on taking that person and putting it in the right role and luckily you know for guys like you and me i don't have to be so reactive right now we're growing quickly but a foundation is in place right all the yeah. assets are in place the business plans in place so it's really nice that I can plug and play and it's not every move isn't like the end of the world where I'm going to hire or fire somebody. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, I, I absolutely love that. I, I think that is such a distinguishing quality around those that their business grows and ones that it stifles. And it's something like that, you know, I focus on so, so much with my day. You know, Connor smiled when you said, you know, I don't micromanage. Cause you know, that's how I am too. I'm like, listen, we want the job done. I need you to do the job. You need to find out the best way to do it. And I want to help allocate resources for you to accomplish that job. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's how do I better empower that person and that individual and let's line up what the company can do and how to give the resources and how that connects with everybody else in the company. It's not about me monitoring the job. It's not me about like we have goals. Those goals are in line with the company's goals. And those individuals need to have responsibility and take ownership over those actions to move the ball forward. And that is such a, a, a defining distinction amongst leaders that I think really grow companies. Yeah, um, man, that the art, that's the art of business right there. Right. I mean, that, that is as far as it goes, real estate or any other type of uh, industry you're in that that's it. So a good book that I like is called who I forgot the, who the author is, but it's on how to hire. That is a great book about just uh, how, how to really define what their resources are and allocate their talents to what you need in your strategy. 
It's called Who? Yeah, Who. Who? Yeah. I'm going to check that out. I'm actually a great, great book. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll look it up and I'll put the link in the show notes too for anybody else that wants to check it out. So, um, dude, and you're hitting the nail on the head because you do it like you're talking about. You look at the Blackstones, you look at Trump when he first started, you look at any of these people that have gone out and built empires around real estate or any other industry, and they were going out, they're finding those right people and plugging them into the right seats you know, fitting that round peg into the round hole, you know, and just plugging and playing exactly like what you're saying, building those foundations to scale. And then again, I mean, you don't have to continue re- reinventing the wheel every time you hire somebody new, put, build another department, do this or do that. You have that system in place already and you can just grow, scale, plug things in and you're good to go. Yeah. And as the CEO, right, you are trying to facilitate those actions. It's, you know, like, we, we look at it even internally, you know, Connor's like, hey, dude, we're not lining up with the city for some reason. I can't get these guys to call me back. I'm not sure what we need to do. And I'm like, all right, what, what do you want to do? And he's like, I need you to line up a meeting with the mayor. And I'm like, okay, let's go figure it out. <laughs> right, right? right? And it's right. like, I start calling and doing what he needs me to do to help him be successful. Right. And, uh, um, I, you know, that delegate to the boss. Yeah. yeah. So, hey, this is what I need you to do. Yeah, yeah, that's like, right. I, I believe it. It's Good like, team. you know, I want, I want my, my leads to come and say, this is what is needed from the business right now. Right. And that leader by you are, you're putting resources in place for them to succeed, uh, not holding them back. And you've built, so right now we, we were talking a little beforehand, Talk to us about the business. How many assets do you have? What are you currently doing right now? Because you, you're juggling a lot of balls, man. Yeah, you got a lot of balls in the air right now. Yeah, so high high scale. You know, so we have seventy plus assets. Uh, for me, we're on our, our third fund and a lot of private syndications before that. So I'm exiting the manufactured housing space. It's just for me personally. I mean, I, I think inflation and we could, there's so many places we can go with this call, but I think it's still going to continue. I, I still think there's some value that could be added to those. But right now, manufactured housing, you know, we realize the majority of that value on these assets we've owned the last three to five years. I want to start disposing of them later this this fall as interest rates increase. I'd, I'd like to still catch the value and what I believe is get a premium right now. And then I'm doing, you know, I'm really allocating a lot of those, those funds back into storage and in my core portfolio in the Northeast. So like I was telling you before the call, we, we have 22 construction sites right now going on at once. They're either, you know, in actively being built or in the permitting process. And uh, there's a little exposure there to financing, right, on on construction financing at this stage. And probably like a lot of your listeners out there who are growing their business in storage, I mean, you're unless even the big, big developers, I mean, until you get that thing built, you're personally guaranteeing it and you're exposed. So but I believe in the business. I believe in, in what doing my homework, like you said, finding spots that are underserved. And and what I noticed for me is that, you know, I see the imbalance of where we're buying on current prices based on acquisitions, right? On stabilized product, it, there's such an incentive and a driver to develop. And I see what you're doing out there, what both you guys. So on my side, it's you know still I know in in costs are going up, but if we can still catch it, I still believe it. That's the best opportunity right now to develop in good markets that you know, because the barriers to entry are getting much more difficult, at least on the East Coast for me. Yeah. I mean, because you know storm water is getting more difficult. You know where the Army Corps of Engineers might have to have everybody now have to maintain their own storm water. So that takes a big chunk of your land up if you're buying five acres and you got to store yeah. an 
acre and a half of, of just water retention. And then we got bigger setbacks, higher cost of construction. I don't know if you guys are seeing it on your materials. Oh, oh man, it's crazy. We're getting quotes now at 26, 27 bucks for just your buildings. And yep. they used to be, you know, when I started, it was 12, 11, yeah. 10, you know? <laughs> yep. so, so, Absolutely. And with fuel, right, the way it is, you know, with gas labor. And, and oil, labor, yeah, everything. So our cost of construction is creeping up. But even now with rates low and the market's so hungry for yield, and you talk about this all the time, it's just like, it's ridiculous, right? I wouldn't, I don't want to compete in that arena. I want to build, even if we're at 60, 65 bucks a foot for climate, I mean, just minimal climate, single story, you know, excluding land, you know, you see stuff trading, at least in the North these for us, we're seeing it trading for no no less than 135 to 140 bucks a foot. Yeah. So for us, it's like you know, I'm uh, because we have our own operating company like you. We got our hands on the pulse of our leasing. We can control it. You know, maybe we sacrificed a little bit on scale on growing like some of the institutions, but at least we feel more comfortable that we're in the business and operating it on a day to day. That uh, this is going to be a hell of a lease up. I got a 1.1 million square feet to lease up this summer. So, so uh, yeah. you know, we got to do, let's do a call before Christmas and I'll let you know how it all plays out. Cause that'll give you an idea on the Northeast storage market when I get done with this. <laughs> well, I love it. And we're going to do that call cause I really want to hear. Um, and you know, we're, we're in the same boat too. It's, it's, you know, we've got a lot of developments that Connor's in the middle of here because we're looking at some of these markets that we want to be in. And you're talking 3x what it cost us to build. Yep. Which is ludicrous. Yep. And it's like, we're like, we can't enter into this market without it. And two, these are also markets that, um, you know, we're still finding good markets that are underserved. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that's that's changed a lot. And we've really limited down to where we're going. Mm-hmm. But we have a lot of square footage coming out. You know, we're talking 600 plus thousand. Um, and it's a big factor in are we buying, are we building? Mm-hmm. And if you're buying at some of these cap rates and you're projecting, it's really hard. The argument that building is risky, I, I, I guess I, I, I have a problem with that argument when you say it's risky because the lack of cash flow. But I'm like, if it's 3x cheaper, how much money do you have to sit on Till that thing leases up, <laughs> right, right? A lot of money, right? And right. you could sit on that thing empty for ten years till you meet the same price, right? right you know, right. it's just so. When I look at the actual risk associated with it, I'm like, you can hedge those risks, and you can mon- and you can really work around those risks, as in, you know, not getting yourself into a position um, and that either the refi can get you into big trouble, making sure you have a good cash position. So if we have a contraction in the market and there's slowdown in lease ups, right. But you limit your risk a lot down because you're a fully integrated shop. You manage, you operate. And a lot of places you're building, you're already in, right. You know, these markets right? and you can work. I mean, you, you are reducing that build cost or that build lease up a lot purely in knowledge of your areas. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up good points too. And I know your listeners are like active in the business and passive and in in the business. But I think that that's what I believe too. That's why I went so heavy into development is one, you got new product, right? And this is the thing you, you promoted when I first started reading your book, when it came out was, you know, a lot of these small towns with, with small operators get fat and happy and don't put any money back into the asset. 
So right there, you have a competitive advantage. And then two, like you said, your basis is a third of what the new new acquisition guys are coming out and buying. So you could drop your prices two thirds and stay and and get leased up. You know, I mean, and we're in a business where, you know, really it's convenience and price. Yeah. At the end of the day, right? I mean, and your product is great, but you know, if, if you're cheap and you you look halfway decent, you're gonna fill. Hundred percent. I mean, if you're building at eighty bucks a square foot, someone's buying at one hundred and sixty bucks a square foot at ninety percent occupancy, right? I'm like, who is going to suffer more at fifty percent vacancy rate? Right. Because the cost is the revenue is the same coming right. in. So all of a sudden I'm like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't think it's as simple as people make it say that inherently building is more risky. I, I just don't think that's true in, in, in all different, in different times of the market cycle. And there's many cases right now where I believe that's just flat out wrong. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. I'm excited, you know, from hearing what you guys are, what's going on in Midwest and West is, um, are you seeing any slowdown in lease up at all and, and increase in rates, anything? No. So I think we're seeing a softening in some areas that um, are uh, they're they're more sensitive to housing and the, the overall growth. And that's where I get nervous, like some areas that are either exploding or not. How much demand is in that area when those houses stop trading? Mm-hmm. So we're really because you know, interest rates went up a point in the last two months, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to see housing trade like it, it did. We're going to see a softening in the market. I don't think we're going to see a collapse, but rates are holding strong. So inflation is really driving those rates. And we have right now across our portfolio, I'd love to hear what you're doing on yours. We are having the largest rate increases this year mm-hmm. in the history of our company yep. by far. Yep. Us too, hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. Lease up stayed strong. Uh, rent increases probably thirty percent year over year. Yeah. Right. It is insane. You know. I, I, and I think what we're both sensitive to adapting right quickly because I, I was at the uh, Tiger Twenty One conference there in Scottsdale, and Blackstone was speaking, the head of their real estate department, and they said beds and sheds. They go, we want inflationary resistant assets. So long term leases, ten year deals on retail, office, industrial. They're not attractive anymore, you know. It's it's because yeah. you know when you're dealing with hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars, you know, it, it, over time you're actually not winning the game if inflation is outpacing your lease bumps, your lease increases, right? So with us, we love this ability that month to month on storage and year to year on multifamily, so we can continue to adjust these leases if we have to. And I think every indicator says they're going to continue to go up as everything inflates. Yeah, dude, we're, we're like, I literally just made a YouTube video on this, on why I love self-storage with inflation. We can adjust our prices so quickly. Yeah. Like it is just, hey, we're moving, we're moving fast. We're adjusting these month to month leases. We are uniquely in a position to adjust for inflation that a lot of assets aren't given. You're right. You're locked up into a 10 year lease agreement at a 3% yearly increase. That is the worst position you could ever be in. I mean, <laughs> right. you're you're at a three percent cap on that on that lease raise yeah. over ten years on a year thing. When interest rates going up seven plus demand in some areas, you could be getting ten plus. You do a five year look back on what you missed out, and yikes! Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Rough. It is crazy. 
So are, are you guys seeing a, a lot of uh, people getting into the industry and wanting to, to get their first facility or I'm just curious oh, yeah. out there. Yeah. A lot of percent, man. It's every, I think that, you know, a lot of people, all the stuff that you've just talked about, right. And that uh, we, we've been talking about, it, it's just so many people are wanting this asset class. I mean, look at all the other asset classes, right? Homes are so expensive. Yields are down because of the uh, pricing in homes. And then you have multifamily competition is so crazy. And it, then you have, you're talking retail, you're talking, uh, you know, uh, um, hotels, you're talking leisure, everything that got slaughtered in uh, COVID. I mean, so many of these assets seem way more risky than they were. Hey, we're just seeing a huge influx. I mean, so many listeners of this podcast right now that are listening, they are trying to break into the industry. Do you yeah. see the same? Yeah, well, I, I I don't put out the content you do, but I imagine I wrote the book, you know, to help people get in the industry. And I think I, for me, I love storage. You know, you're teaching what yeah. you guys put out there. I'm not just saying it because you're there. I think it's the best stuff out there. And why I like it is because storage is still the opportunity for the little guy to get into commercial yes. real estate, right? There's very few yes. asset classes anymore where a guy that has a normal job that doesn't have millions of dollars can pull together a few people, get an SBA loan and buy a, a property. And I still love, you know, your original strategies where we're in some of these smaller markets. They got an existing template of two or three or four buildings. They got a little extra land and you can add three, four or five buildings, double the size, get it to that magic 50,000 square feet. And then that you can, you know, squeeze out 10 grand a month in cash flow and it makes a significant impact in someone's life. I really love the asset class. You know, I made my dad built one behind his paving yard and helped him with retirement. So I just, I'm super passionate about storage still. I think, and, and you have full control, right? In an era where so many passive investments, you give up control for all these different, you know, schemes that are out there with stocks and anything else, crypto. And I, and there's a place for all that. But if you want full control, right, on an operating business and you say, I don't invest in storage as real estate, you're like, and I invest in storage as a business, right? So I, I just, I'm with you, you know, man, I, I just hope everyone out there, they, if they want to be actively involved, go after that smaller facility. But I just, you gotta, you gotta be able to grow the business. I don't want someone to go out there and buy two buildings. You gotta get to a critical mass of 30, 40, 50,000 square feet. That's a sweet spot though. Cause you know, guys like you and me, we're barely, we, we really can't afford to buy that anymore with our, our big organizations yep. and the big guys don't even want to look at it. So there's yep. just such an opportunity for the little guy to get in and build something for himself. Oh man, it, it's, it's so true. And the yield, and I like, I, I tell people this all the time, if I wanted to hire per unit, like a per product on a per storage facility yield, I would go lower. The only problem is my capital, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> I can't go buy a 30,000 square foot facility in a fourth, fifth tier market where I could increase the revenue by 50%, right? The yield on that individual dollar may be higher, but because it's so little dollars, it, it doesn't work for me, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the same with you and a lot of people. Um, and that's for, for somebody getting started, I mean, you're t the the low hanging fruit right there, and it, the, and these two are the ones that are operated so poorly. These are the yep, ones that exactly. Need. That's exactly. why there's so much yield in it, and too often they're 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 in areas where there's no new build, and nobody's coming to build any new storage facility. Right. So demand's not being shaken, and there's there's not a lot of asset classes that no. offer that. 
No, and I have to tell I mean, mobile home parks are in fashion right now and they're, they, they're very trendy. And I, I believe in the asset class. I believe affordable housing is an issue, you know, it's going to continue for the rest of our lives. But you're dealing with an infrastructure that's typically built from the 50s, 60s or early 70s. So I think under the ground, you're inheriting, you know, some 50 year old water, sewer and power infrastructures. Yes. And, I, and I can't tell you enough where I love the asset class, but I was pumping in 5,000 a month every other month. It was something, you know, for a capital expenditure. And, you know, these guys, when you get into these assets, you know, these older, older operators, they're just patching things up, you know, so you're walking into a, uh, you don't know what you're walking into. So yeah. I, I, I just want to uh, warn people and just like C-class apartments, I mean, just be ready. You're going to have to pump a lot of money into the asset and, and storage is, Man, you know, you know, it's a, this such a low operating capital expense business because there's just if you got the right drainage, you got the right uh, asphalt, you got some good roofs, the buildings are in decent shape. I mean, there's not a whole lot to do. It's so yep. damn predictable every month, yep. your revenue and your cash flow. Yep. hundred mm-hmm. percent. And for, you know, like a lot of people when they got started and it was one of the reasons why we got started in self-storage, it was reducing the risk. It was like, well, storage, it was really easy to identify any major issues that were going to come up. So there was a reduction of that risk that was really beneficial to somebody that's not a professional. Like we didn't know, we were insurance guys. I don't don't know anything about real estate. I didn't know how to replace a roof. I didn't even know how to identify a roof unless water was pouring out of it, that there was a problem, right? I had no clue at all. And um, those costly mistakes in real estate are probably your biggest danger, that you buy a property and the problem with that property, the capital expenditure that goes in it, all of a sudden increases the cost of purchase by 20%. And now it's no longer even a good deal. Um, storage is just so much easier to identify those things. It really is. Yeah. So I, I hope your guy, I think there's this window right now, though, where these asset classes shift, right? 10 years ago, yeah. like in my book, I, I went hard. I knew it was coming. I knew it. I was ahead of the curve and the trend. And, and I believe that every industry matures, that industry's matured more, but it's a lot more challenging to get yield. So with storage right now, there's this beautiful window. And, and, you know, even if you're not familiar with development, but you guys, you know, we just all hop in it. I I didn't come from really development background, but there's, it's getting, if you could still find municipalities that will allow a storage use, you can get in there, you can get land at a reasonable cost under a hundred grand an acre. You know, you can get it actually, I mean, you don't even have to build it. You could get it permitted and approved right now, call guys like us or sell it off on the open Mm -hmm. market. There's just an opportunity, I think, where it's only going to get harder in the future where, you know, it's it's no secret that this the metrics make sense, right? You're getting, yeah. you know, 10 to $15 gross rents and you're building for, like you said, under 80 bucks a foot, right? I mean, it's it, just like with mobile home parks, the metrics made sense where you're buying for a cheap price per pad and you're getting a good return per pad on each unit. So, I mean, it's coming, right? All the investors, yeah. it's either private guys that are developers or institutions. So I think though, it, we're we're still ahead of it at this stage. So I that, I just think it's a very important time for people to get in the industry. Well, mm-hmm. and you brought up a good point. And dude, I don't know if you remember like where it was two, two years ago when uh, me and you started like working together and everything. And I was like, you know, I think in this industry, we got like 20 years until it consolidates. Well, three years later now, I'm like, eh, we have five years. <laughs> like <laughs> it's just, it was happening so fast that right. I'm like, 
wow in the last few years. And right. so I, I do agree with you. I think the window is, and once again, too, when we say window, everybody, we're talking from it, we're, we're talking from a very spoiled standpoint here where we're like, it's just so easy, right? We, when we say the window closes, we just mean it's going to be much more traditional to other asset classes. Right. It's going to be harder to find the yield. Everybody's looking for it, right? It, it's just going to consolidate and be like any other class, asset class that every other person is used to being in. Um, we're just saying this window of opportunity that tends to be so abundant right now. Um, that's the question on how long that'll last. So for that person that's saying, hey, I, I do want to get into this. I am looking at this window. W- what do you tell them? What do you tell that guy that comes to you, gives you a call and says, hey, man, I'm really wanting, I'm I, I'm not just fishing around here. I'm moving into the industry. I need to make real steps to move forward. What, what are you telling them? What are you consulting with those guys? Yeah. I, you know, and that's one reason I wrote the book too. So it's just, that it would help out to get people get started. I mean, know the basics, get educated, right? I mean, get, following good content like yours uh, and then really deciding, okay, what, what strategy do I want to employ? You can't have the shiny object sy- syndrome and grabbing all these different asset classes, these different types. You got to make a commitment and decide on a path and go with it. So, you know, I, like I said before, I would stick with an existing facility that already has the approved use. It's already has a business operating, right? Where you have 10,000 to 30,000 square feet. You're under the radar of the big guys, but you got some expansion uh, capabilities. It's either got a big footprint of land or you got land next door that's reasonable under a couple hundred grand or, or less. And you can expand on and really create a sizable facility to get you three, 400 units or 50,000 square feet. So I would get out there and, and make contacts, build relationships. Exactly what I said in, in the book there, where, you know, it can't hurt. If you're serious, you know, you, uh, people, it goes a long way with these guys that built this up over 20 years, this business, and they see a young, hungry family or anyone, male, female, and they want to get in the business saying, hey, I'm hungry. I want to learn and I want to I want to buy this and I can do this and I can expand and make it better. Would you consider selling? You know that you, you do that enough, and especially in your community, the, the opportunities there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I love that. What what are you looking for in ter- terms of metrics? What, what are you looking for on that acquisition or that build and metrics? What are important to you when you're evaluating it? I'm, you know, I, I really limited the markets that I was in, in terms of the development. So I, in the Northeast, I know my, my populations. I mean, you know, typical, I love in the, the one, three and five, just throw four zeros behind it. So 10,000 in the one, 30,000 in the three and 50,000 in the five. Not, you're not always going to get that, but I think that's a healthy population amount, you know, uh, a radius around you that you can draw from. And then, you know, obviously, I, I know it's not a perfect science, your, your supply demand metric, right? Where you just have, I know a lot of people argue back and forth that, that it's not exactly accurate, but at least it gives you a base mark. You got to start how many square feet per person are on online right now and how many more are going to be built and so we're, I, but overall, I think it's, you know, if the, if the, do what you say is go around, look at the other facilities. Is everybody full? It, how is the competition? Are they running high quality businesses or are they just beat up and, you know, pretty rough? I think those markets, you have an opportunity where, 
especially the biggest thing that I would suggest is buy a bad property in a good market. And what I mean, good market, buy hospitals, schools, you know, decent services, right? Decent housing, decent, just, just, you know, the neighborhoods that you want to be in. Yeah, I'm not saying they need to be somewhere you would live, but just a quality middle income area and, and buy a bad property in a decent market. Don't buy a, a, a good property in a bad market where, you know, your net, where the housing's a hundred grand, and, you know, you have no growth, it's declining. So that's what I would urge. You know, it's not a science, you, you know, AJ, you got to get a kind of, but that's a good idea to get a feel of that area. You get a feel when a community is, you know, it's a decent community to be in, or if it feels scary. I, I'm not the guy, I don't like to be in inner city storage or in real low incomes. I have nothing wrong with that. I just, that's not a place I want to build this business for me right now. 100%. I think that's fantastic idea. You know, it, it, I think kind of with the what you were just saying, and as I was, I was going through, you, you hit on a few points that I'm always looking for. Talking about sustainability, we're talking about overall demand, right? We're really looking at what happens if things go wrong. We're looking at how much this market can handle, how much it can bear. And when I look at all of those things, I, I think for me, the most important and a lot for you is too, it's the uncontrollables. Right. So it's like, what are the things that I can't control that in that directly reflect on this revenue source? If I get those right, then I can work within the controllables. I can really focus on what now I need to build, what I need to do, what I need to do. And and, and I can get the controllables wrong. Right. I can screw up on that. I can't screw up on the things that I can't control mm -hmm. uh, because those can't be corrected and they can kill you. And I think, you know, when you're looking at those metrics and when you're looking at that per capita, um, uh, that square feet per capita, when you're looking at income, right? When you're looking at, uh, you know, how, what storage rates are, things like, at the end of the day, we're all trying to get to that point, right? We're all trying to understand what the market can handle and, and, and can handle and how can I move within this market? So, I, I I just agree so much. Obviously, we, we're very much alike on how we approach this industry and how we we approach running these storage businesses. Um, and, and that's and the point on that, AJ, is just that if you're in that 40, 50,000 square foot range, I mean, I know you, you guys have some massive facilities out in the, the Midwest or up north, uh, but in smaller communities where you buy one and you're not adding a whole lot and you have decent rents, I mean, you do have to have decent rents, you know, above $10 a foot in order to generate enough revenue to make it really worth your time. But at that stage, like you said, that you're, you have a lot of, uh, you have a lot of ability to, to, to control your controllables. So you're not flooding the market. You could be a better operator. It still could be superior. It, it could be a flooded market. It could be oversupplied. But if you're filling up only 20, 30,000 feet and you don't have a, you don't have a turnover of, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 feet because you have a hundred thousand or 200,000 square feet as a small guy, you know, that, that actually allows you to be maneuverable in the business. And that gives you an advantage over the larger facilities. Yeah. hundred percent. Good points. That's really good points. Really, really good points. Um, you are building, you are developing, you are expanding and acquiring. What are your thoughts on the cap rate compression that we see in the market? Um, and what are you guys thinking about how this all plays out moving forward with interest rates where they're at and inflation? Uh, you know, what are your, we know, of course, you're bullish. 
I'm bullish on it. Uh, a lot of that, though, is predicated on long-term things and fundamental economics. But we're seeing changes in the marketplace. Interest rates are rising. Sure. Right? We're, we're seeing huge amounts of inflation. What, what, are, what are your thoughts, man? What are you looking at? What are you planning on? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And, and I think so interest rates continue to rise, right? I, I believe to, to, to yep. take inflation and get it handled. Now, I think, though, on the yield side where investors want return on their investments, I think there's still a cushion there where there's this uh, there's there's still a buffer where just because rates rise, our industry is getting it's it's getting more homogenized. It's getting more uh, it's getting more desirable from a lot of different industries, a lot of different other investor classes. Yes. That Right. There's a buffer that still cap rates can compress because like other industries that pi private equity gobbled up over the last decade, you know, it, we are we are similar to that type of industry where, you know, just like an Amazon reoccurring revenue model, you know, where these guys are buying these businesses where anyone has a subscription based service. Now, look at us. We're a real estate subscription based service, right? Yes. Where, you know, yes. like 70 to 75 percent of our tenants are just auto renew right on, no. on our portfolio. And it's only going to get bigger. So yep. really, we have a real estate play with this this reoccurring revenue model, where I think the market is going to continue to value it really, really high. So I think that yeah. where our cap rates are going to compress. Now there will hit a threshold, right, where you actually you have to generate yield between your debt and what your cap rate is. But uh, but yeah, I'm with you. I think we're in the right spot at the right time, and there's a buffer there where cap rates will continue to compress, and is even as rates increase a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's so funny, dude. We, I was talking, this is almost a decade ago and I met with a very large broker in the industry and we were having this discussion because prior to a decade ago, cap rates in self-storage were very much aligned with interest rates. And we, you know, we'd sit and chat for hours and he'd bring us off market deals, all sorts of stuff. But I said, listen, the storage has changed and it's changing really, really quick. Our source of capital and how that capital can be used in self-storage is not the same anymore. We have institutions, we have private equity, we have people coming in. So that source of capital is not solely reliant on a community bank anymore. Right. It's not solely reliant on that. So demand will not be affected by interest rates like it was in the past. It's not that it won't be, but I go, this correlation, and it was my firm belief that interest rates and cap rates in self-storage will follow each other identically. I go, I don't believe that anymore. I just mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. I, 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 the cost of capital, how capital's achieved, what we can underwrite it now, it, it's different. And I, I think that because of that, right, that changes the way a lot of people think about the industry, how they buy, which creates its own demand, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. the fact that because there's demand, I know that, okay, cap rates are going to stay fairly compressed. That creates more demand because my lower cap rate that I am, I view it as it's more secure. And so it's a self-reinforcing thing mm -hmm. that happens, right? right. Um, and I, I really believe it's, it's more like what we see in apartment buildings. It's viewed as such a safe asset class. The capital wants to go there. Pension funds, everything, insurance, money, float, right? It wants to be placed in those assets. Yep. Over the long term, it's going to be worth more. We're yep. going to see it's it, it's going to grow. And that will create, even as interest rates rise, a buffer. 
So, yeah, I mean, that you, you hit on such good points. So the, the durability, the consistency, the resiliency of the asset, right, it's starting to shine through. Through 07, 08, the crash, you know, storage was the least affected, right? And we're going to see, we're, we're seeing trends occur where we are crushing it through COVID, right? I mean, like this, once again, storage was more resilient. So yep. what's, what you, to your point and to add on to it, because this is like the entrepreneur, storage entrepreneurs podcast right here that follow mm-hmm. you. So to, to, to really highlight what you said and for people to capitalize on this, just like any other industry that's in a trajectory of a growth mode, now, these institutions, what are they interested in? They're only interested in stabilized, really, really co- uh, solid assets. So yes. what does that mean? That means guys like you and me, guys that go out and anyone out there that wants to get dirty in the business, what we, you, you execute on the business plan. You pick off the smaller facilities and some of the smaller suburban markets. You pick off the dirty, ran down facilities you and you aggregate a portfolio together. You make the improvements. You put a good management software behind it, like you guys have. And right there, this this aggregated portfolio in is it now these institutions. I mean, it's so easy to place capital on these for these guys. So no more, right? And we keep, we talk about this every time we get together. No more is it. Oh, you need to be in Boston MSA. Oh, you need to be in in uh, LA MSA, right? It, no, yep. and now it's like we'll go middle America, you know, with COVID and everyone moving out to nice communities outside of these urban markets and they don't have to go back in the city. These are these are justifiable markets. And now now you don't get the ding on your cap rate. You don't get a knock of 100 or 200 basis points on your cap rate. Right. Because yep. investing philosophy inverse. It yeah. was the so it was the downtown areas that got hurt. That's right. COVID, they were trashed. They were burned. They were people were flooding out of them. And it's like that that had never happened in America before. Yeah. So and it was like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for, for people that get the point that we're trying to get across is the life companies, the CMBS companies, the yep. institutions, the private equity companies, it's just at the, the start of them gobbling up, right? Our, yes. our storages that yes. we're getting stabilized and we're getting to a, to a, a, a sizable market where you got just something that's 50,000 feet and it's clean and it's nice. So for the listener out there, don't worry. They're not competing with you. When we say, you know, we're saying insurance companies, they're not yeah. financing that little facility in your neighborhood. No. Only when you build it up and you get it to, yeah. you know, current market rent stabilized, nice trailing 12 performance. Now it's a, it's a saleable asset. A hundred percent. And this dude is something that you really hit on and you do such, it, it, it's this life cycle of an asset, right? Taking one for its valuation because of the markets, everything is a certain way, then moving it through the life cycle as in we're hitting a different target demographic on finance and buyers and everything. And that intrinsically makes that value more. And I love that you hit on that. Um, all right, you, you in your book you have uh, edge principle number four, and I want you to talk about this. Never get too high and never get too low. Uh, walk me through this, man. <laughs> when when you're talking about never get too high, never get too low, uh, yeah. tell me what you're talking about here. Oh man, I, I'm an expressive guy, so you know I like to I get pretty energetic. But at the end of the day, you know, especially with business. Uh, I, I follow that whole, the, the Bill Belichick, you know, stoic philosophy of do your job, show up every single day. I'm going to get wins. Yeah. You make millions of dollars, you lose some money, 
you lose an investor, you get an investor, you get a deal, you don't get the deal. At the end of the day, I show up, do my job. I love the business for the business, you know, and, and I take time away. I'll go get vacation, spend time with family. But at the end, you know, I'm, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm not doing this for the result because if I'm tied to every single thing, my emotional reactions would just drive me nuts. It's like I'm hammering on the gas and the brake at the same time. And then I'm just, just redlining, you know, I'm just internally just screwed up. So, so I think the point I was getting across there was just, you know, when you're committed to the business or whatever business that you, you are involved in and you really, you, you allow yourself to just, just do the work, figure out whatever it is that you're good at. And then you do it every single day, add that value. You're the world doesn't pull you in so many directions. You know, you dictate who you are, what you want, how you want to project yourself. And then I think in general that that's, you're going to succeed no matter what. I it's, it's probably my, my, my favorite part in, in your book, my favorite chapter, because um, I love that so much. And, and two, you know, after the recession, everything went out, uh, you know, it was like, wow, like I, I became really obsessed with stoicism. That's really funny that you, <laughs> you mentioned that. Right. Um, and all my you know, favorite books were stoicism and everything. And, and this idea of the process and you're dedicated to the process, right? Not the result and the fact that it doesn't matter if I'm winning or losing, I'm here making it happen. And I'm going to be doing this every day. It doesn't matter if we get that new hit. It doesn't matter if we get the, it's just part of a process that we're moving through. We are learning, we're adapting. And I am very expressive like <laughs> you are. So I am not what somebody would think of as stoic right. in any way, shape or form, right? <laughs> but my mentality around doing what I do, I try to maintain that. Something blows up. It's not stopping me from doing it. It's part of the process. I understand that. I don't internalize it and in, or I try not to internalize that as anything different. Let's take it. Let's interpret it for what it is. Let's change. Let's adjust. Let's uh, keep moving forward. Right. And I that's such a big part of the process that a lot of people don't understand is that if it's all about that win or if it's all about that failure, it's all about the winner failure, meaning if you win you're going to be happy. And if you lose, you're not going to be happy mm -hmm. and you're going to stop and you're going to give up. And, and, and you can't in, in this game, you can't be like that. This is a long-term game and you've got to run off of long-term fundamental principles and guiding uh long-term understanding of purpose and what you're doing. And you knock it out of the park with that, dude. I, I just think, I love that chapter because I think that emulates you a lot and seeing what you've done over the last few years and how you just absolutely bounced back from the great recession and said, Hey, I'm moving. I'm going through this after what was, you know, 99% uh, of everybody just got out of the game. You leveled up when yeah. everybody got out. And I think that is awesome. That's awesome, man. You know, to that point, and I recently, just not to get off on stoicism, but I mean, I really think this process, the, the way to think through these, these uh, emo to really handle a lot of adversity, I love taking long walks now, man. I get up early and I walk a long way, you know, an hour or two, and it helps me slow down and think in a way where I can handle, you know, the ups and downs and just, it really is something that I hope people, you know, they, they have a practice, right. And it's, for me, it's journaling and walking. I'm not a big yeah. meditation guy. I mean, I try to do it, but I'm very energetic. So that yes. movement allows me to, to process yeah. some of these things. And 
I think that it's for me, it's you know, I, I think it's a little tricky when this whole self-help uh, culture that we're in where you, know, you got to know your purpose. You got to have this strong desire. You got to have passion. And I do have these things, but I think it's like a dog chasing its own tail someday, you know, I, you know, building storage is not my purpose in the whole world, you know, <laughs> but, but what it is, is it's, it's, I'm able to build something and I'm building an asset and I'm able to take a problem and I'm able to solve it. And I'm able to use my skills and ever in that moment, really handle whatever's in front of me. And, and that to me, it's like, it's just a day by day process where it doesn't have to be some big thing, right? It's not no, some magic secret, right? It's a great investment right now. I can help myself. I can help other people, my investors, my family. And, and this is what I put, want to put my energy into. And I don't need to overcomplicate it. So go out, talk to some people, find some assets that I want to buy, learn the business, watch your stuff, you know, really educate myself. And then it's just a game. Just play the game. And it's a pretty Playing fun game. game, right? Yeah, mm. dude. And you I nailed it on the head. Don't complicate this. Mm-hmm. It's like... And, and I like, you're absolutely right. There's so many self-help books and everything about there. Like, what is your, why are you met? What is your purpose here on, right. on earth? What are you meant to do? It's like, well, that's a super overwhelming question. Like, yeah, right. you know, honestly, I don't know if I meant to do anything except live and then refertilize the ground here. I'm that's like, the truth you know, of it. I'm like, I said, you're going, geez, all right, all right, all right. and that kind of pressure on myself alone is not, I, I'm like, I don't like it. And, and, and I view like, it's, it's what, what you said is keep it really simple. I really, just like I said, I like playing the game. I like that it helps me and other people. But if storage for some reason ends in the next year or two where everyone in the in America wakes up and they're like, guess what, everybody? Storage is really stupid. Let's all stop renting units, right? <laughs> just going to find something else. Exactly. It's not going to devastate me. It's not like my purpose <laughs> to life is over, right? <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I just think those are very, very wise words. Well, um, nice, we're going to put the link to your to your book, everything in it. Everybody, um, go follow Jeremiah. Check out his book. I absolutely love love it. Finding Your Edge. It's fantastic, man. Where can else can we direct people? Where can they find you? Learn more about you. Yeah, so the I guess the educational tools and the book is at my website, jeremiahboucher.com. I'm sure you guys can put the spelling up there. And then uh, my company's patriotholdings.com. And then if they also want to look at the storage brand just to see how we operate our business, it's all-purpose storage. We're based out of New Hampshire. So I, I'm happy to, you know, I'm looking forward to speaking at your event, and I want to support you guys. You know, I'm uh, dude, I'm so fired up about what you offer to people in terms of getting people in the business. I can't tell you how passionate that makes me. I'm a Northeaster. I cuss a lot. So I held it back for you guys. <laughs> I really did. I, so, but I want to use the F word so bad because I really, really do care about what you're talking about. Right. It's not some grandiose purpose, but it, yeah. it gives people a, a really good retirement, good income, control over their financial future. It's a, it's, it's awesome. So I'm, I'm so happy to be on here with you, man. Dude, thanks, thanks for coming right? on. I really man. appreciate it, man. Yeah. That means a lot to us. And uh, we will see you soon. I look forward to seeing you again. And everybody, you can come to the event in September and uh, you can meet Jeremiah. Hear him speak. It's, it's, it's going to be awesome. So until then, everybody, follow the links below. Go check them out. Thanks, man. All right, guys. See ya. See ya.